Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with a European edition of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League, Bundesliga, and, of course, Champions League. But with me today, as always, the quarterfinals appearance to my Bayern Munich, Billy. Subtle. I enjoyed that. Come on. It's a record. When you when they break a record, they you got to work it in there. But this episode, we're covering all the... Oh, fuck. Oh, my brain's not working. But this episode, we're talking all things knockout stages of the Champions League. We now know the last eight. So we'll be going through the second legs of all those games. And there's a special honourable mention at the end that we'll get to before we close the show. Should we start with Tuesday's games? Yeah, why not? I I don't think City against Gladbach was ever in doubt, really. Nah, and I think Lars Stinner put it best. He just said City were a class above Gladbach and they were, they were just no match. I mean, when a player is literally going in front of the cameras after a match and saying we didn't stand a chance, I think it's pretty clear. They just, there wasn't anything of note from Gladbach, really. I think when Kevin no. De Bruyne is smacking them in off the crossbar like that, you oh, just yeah, great hold goal. your hands up. Yeah, but I think it was also pretty obvious the way City came up in the first leg that Gladbach never were going to pull a comeback. No, I think if they could have kept it to 1-0, it would have been more feasible, but I just can't get over De Bruyne's goal. When they come off the crossbar, it just hits a little bit different. If that had gone in cleanly, I was like, yeah, okay. But if that cannon's in off the crossbar, you get that, it's like, Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm with you on that because it was was so nice. Like so similar so nice. to the one that he scored at Newcastle a couple of seasons ago, and that was on the volley. Okay, I think I'd, I'd take the one at Newcastle just because of the volley, because this one, you know, volley just is that that tad bit sweeter, that tad bit. <sighs> but Gladbach, like, how do you solve a problem like Gladbach? <sighs> okay, here's the thing though with. The Gladbach team that went up against the City team that they did, I don't think we can poke too much at the problem because if we're being honest, that Manchester City team is only going to be beaten by a handful of clubs in Europe. I mean, not even every team is... I know. Not every, not even every team in that, in that final eight that has now progressed through would beat that City team maybe two of those eight would beat that city team. So I think to ask that if Gladbach would be, that's almost unfair, especially given the current problems they, they're having. And I mean, you know, we, we keep hyping on about this and it's just, it's more of the same, really. You know, 
Gladbach just don't seem to have it together. There's just no spirit in the team to get any results anymore. And then if I'm being honest, they're most likely going to peter out into the Bundesliga, into the midfield of the table. They're not going to get out of there. They're going to miss out on European football. And, you know, it was more of a formality, really, that they got kicked out against Gladbach. Against City. I mean, sorry, against, against City. Yes, Jesus. It's quite sad, though, because you look at their seasons have almost gone polar opposite each other. Because you think at one point City were ninth in the Prem mm-hmm. and Gladbach were like top four at one point. And yeah, they were third. Exactly. Like for, for a team like Gladbach, that is massive. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, Gladbach after last season as well, they definitely had Champions League as being the. The kind, yeah, Champions League was the goal this season, and you know after after around Christmas, the goal slowly started to become you know more of a reality with Europa League rather than Champions League. But you know after the obviously we we said it before on this podcast, you know Marco Rosa announcement to Dortmund that was just that was that was the that was the headshot to Gladbach really. Game over after that. Yeah, well, if we, if you're using a like a driving metaphor with this, it's like announcing that for announcing that Marco Rose is going to Dortmund when they did is almost like taking the driver out of a, a car and just letting it coast. Yeah, yeah. Because it, okay, yeah, you might have. You know, you might just slowly coast through to the end, but they've wildly gone off course. And what started out as a promising season is just going to end in a whimper. The good thing is that this season, you know, isn't carrying on longer and they didn't basically have that break in form earlier. Because if it had happened any earlier, they might have already been going towards relegation spots. Should we move on, though, from uh, the slightly depressing story of Gladbach? to Tuesday's other match. Which, you know, it was... Uh, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a tie, to be honest. But there ended up being four goals, so... Yeah, I, I was expecting another 1-0. Yeah. After that first match, I mean... Okay, we're if we're being honest, we always expected Madrid to edge that. You know, Real Madrid is still Real Madrid. Atalanta still Atalanta Bergamo, the team that has, you know, had a kind of renaissance really, and just in the last few seasons have kind of promote have like pulled themselves up by their bootstraps to the Champions League and the top uh, European spots in Italy. Yeah, I think you take a a misfiring Real Madrid over Atalanta most days. I think. Yeah, and. There's all this talk of, oh, well, they could get Mbappe, they could get Haaland. You know, Zidane was asked, could Ronaldo come back? And then the the man who's been there through it all, he's been there when Ronaldo came, he was there when Bale came. You know, he's he's outlasted those two at Real Madrid. Mm. And he scored again, 70th Champions League goal. Pretty unreal, yeah. I probably would put him up there with the most underrated players of all time. 
Yeah, I think, you know, especially because his his French international career was cut so short by that scandal with Valbuena. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, yeah. great great little story. But uh, yeah, you know, I think I think if he had if he had maybe had a longer career with the national team and he had won the World Cup with France then yeah, he probably wouldn't be as underrated, but at this moment in time, it's very much a little bit. And then Ramos again. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, it's funny that we're saying, you know, he's one of the, he's one of the most secure penalty takers in the world, because I still remember a time where Manuel Neuer was a goalkeeper in goal and Ramos put a penalty Onto Mars, really. Oh, it's proper out of the stadium type miss. Oh yeah. You know, Asensio scored as well, but by then it was already wrapped up. But but can we talk about that? <laughs> that free kick. It's gotta be an interesting tactic. At least, at least Real Madrid took some notes. I mean, they must have been listening to our last episode because they put a man down behind the wall to block any low free kicks. So that was good on their part. But Atalanta, you know, I think it's comparable with that one free kick variation where which Germany had in the World Cup 2018 where Thomas Müller purposely trips while he runs across the ball, so to speak. And it kind of phases everyone out. And so then when everyone's fate as everyone's kind of phased out by him tripping and they're like, did that actually just happen? Then Tony Kors just kind of chips it over the wall. It kind of goes with that because Atalanta's like three of Atalanta's players stood in front of the ball and basically ran right towards the Real Madrid wall as Luis uh, Muriel took the shot, which it's a new one. Maybe we'll see it more often. I don't know. I was gonna say it takes the focus off the free kick taker. Whether Courtois was, he had one eye on the runners. I, I still don't rate him as a goalkeeper at all. But yeah, no, nah, I'm with you on that one. On the subject of Real Madrid, though, this is, I, it's slightly depressing. <laughs> so Eddie Hazard injured yeah, again. Yeah, uh, he so, literally kept. After like coming on for 20 minutes, just coming back from injury. Injured the same ankle again. And the doctor who looks after him, says, he said, a third operation on Edin's ankle is very risky. There could be the possibility he could never play football again, which yeah, is it's... horrendous. Yeah, it's it's the type of injury that I think no player wants to have, and you know, you even in this day and age with the medicine and the technology you have, I mean, come on, three operations on the same joint usually will do you in. I mean, just take a look at Hoiga Bachtuva's career. I think you know, three operations on the same thigh slash knee. And the guy is now not even making it into the first team at Stuttgart when he was probably one of the most promising German defensive talents when he was 20. It's ridiculous. It's the same with, I know it's not the same as an ankle, but Michael Owen's hamstring injury. Yeah. yeah. You have a series of hamstrings. I think it was like 1920 or something like that. And he's, he said that when he came back, he was 
going at a third of the power that he could do beforehand because you're just petrified of doing yeah, it again. Doing, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, as sad as it is, I think Eden Hazard is never going to be back at that at that level that he reached at Chelsea. And the whole thing with Real Madrid just is never going to pan out for him. As, as sad as it sounds, but I think I just don't see it happening. No, I think pro- probably a move Real Madrid, probably for both parties, it's the best option. Cut the losses and just just end it. You see, the wages he must be on as well. Yeah, the wages as well. I mean, they spent 135 million on him or 138 million on him, I think it was. It's obscene for a player who's been injured more than he's played. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's just. It is pretty sad because I think it was probably the best move Real Madrid could have made at the time, you know, to fill Cristiano Ronaldo's shoes because Eden Hazard at the time for Chelsea, I mean, Jesus Christ, the guy was special to watch and he definitely needed to make that step to the, to, to the European elite of the elite at the time. But, you know, with his, with his injury record and such, it just never has panned out. Well, on the subject of Eden Hazard, shall we talk his former team? Again, I it was like watching paint dry. And that's not a criticism of Chelsea for once from me. <laughs> it's a criticism of, of Atletico Madrid. And it's becoming more and more of a pattern, really, with Atletico Madrid, isn't it? Absolutely terrible team to watch and I know like oh yeah they're top of they're top of La Liga but it's like come on you can't keep playing like that because if there if there were fans to watch that surely you wouldn't get away with it and it's such a negative way of playing which is why I don't rate Simeone as a manager at all I think if he was in the Premier League you'd be sacked after about six months yeah it's, it's just the fact of, you know, Atletico know that they have enjoyed their most lucrative time, if you want to call it that, under Diego Simeone. I mean, you know, they still did manage to make it to the, uh, to the Champions League final twice with those same tactics. Arguably, those tactics were the reason they never won, but they still managed to make it quite far, and they did win or they broke that that run of Real Madrid and Barcelona La Liga title races in 2013. So I think it's it's a very very it's a double edged sword almost. Like yes, it does garner you results, but will it actually get you the results when it's crunch time? And you know, my personal opinion, no, not a chance in hell. I mean, we saw it, Chelsea, Chelsea, no matter how stubborn Atletico were. Chelsea managed to break down that Atletico defense. And I think, you know, Diego Simeone's number is just, it's up. You know, he's been found out. People now know how to break his style down. There needs to be some change, a culture change at that club. Because you talk about, yeah, but it's just the way they do things. It's like, well, clearly doesn't work very well, does it? But I've got three interesting little things this related to this game to bring to you 
So the last English club to eliminate Atletico Madrid from a knockout tournament was in 2008, and it was Bolton Wanderers, who at the time Jesus. had Gary Cahill oh. and were managed by Gary Megson, whose last job, proper job, was caretaker manager at West Brom. Love that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Bolton, they, they went into administration in League One a couple of years ago. Yeah. Bolton used to be half decent. Christ. Yeah, I know Bolton used to be half decent. They, they were, I mean, just think about it. Uh, Blackburn Rovers and Bolton were in the Premier League in the for much of the 2000s. Yeah. Blackburn, uh, Blackburn won it in 92. See? Didn't they win it with Alan Shearer? That, that Alan year? Shearer and Chris Sutton up front. Sutton and Shearer. The original SAS, not Sterling and Sturridge. No, Sterling and Suarez. What am I on about? Jesus. No, Sturridge and Suarez. Oh, Sterling didn't even come into it. I was about to say, Sterling just kind of came, burst onto the scene when Sturridge and Suarez were were the were all the hot news out of Liverpool. And Sterling was that 17-year-old who I think was more known for the fact that he already had two kids at by age 19 or something like that. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> Uh, I've got another interesting little piece yes. for you. Uh, Atletico Madrid last night at one point had as many English players on the pitch as Chelsea did. Oh, that is that is a fantastic stat. That is even better than the first one. Love that. Love that. And <laughs> finally, Emerson's 94th minute goal, his first goal in Christ knows how long cost one punter two hundred and fifty thousand pounds on Bruh. Sky Sports Super Six. No. I know, it's ridiculous. They were all sat there. They were like, "Oh, Chelsea have the ball." I really hope they don't score because he had the score right for everything else, and it was oh, just this. And it was literally the last kick of the game. It was like, absolutely gut wrenching. If you if you didn't hit <clears> Chelsea <throat> before that, you probably would after. Oh Jesus Christ! Oh, you do feel for the guy. He missed out on 250K because Emerson decides to score for the first time in a year. Wow. Oof. Okay, but I want to I talk about the, uh, the... Let's talk about the actual game. And you have to say, the thing that we criticize so much about Frank Lampard's Chelsea, you know, not using Timo Vanna the way he was used at Leipzig, you know, fast on the counter, fast on the break. Thomas Tuchel has just gone and said, well, I've seen what he does at Leipzig. Why not just do that? That seems like the best use of our 60 million pound striker. Why, why, not, why not actually play him the way, he, the way he can play best? And boom, what do you know? It produces a goal. I was gonna say, it's not working out goal-wise just yet, but I think if he keeps playing him like this, it will do because he got an assist for Hakim Ziyech. But it's, it's that this is what we know Timo Werner can do. This is like, you know, it was that annoying thing watching Frank Lampard's teams play when he'd play him on the left or on the right. It's like, it's just not where he belongs. You <laughs> stick him up top and he will do things. He will make things happen. Exactly. I mean, one thing we have to kind of eat our words a little bit is the fact that we said Kai Havertz will always produce his best work at the number 10. 
And now he's kind of slotting in as a dual center attacking mid position that sometimes or most of the time Mason Mount now is taken under Tuchel. And he's, you know, he was the one who basically took the ball and produced and or started the counterattack that led to Chelsea's 1 0. Arguably, Kai Havertz is slowly getting back into the swing of things. And I believe he's going to need his like this full season. But come next season, he might actually burst onto the scene and proved to be worth the 80 million that Chelsea did pay for him. I was going to say, he's got a long way to go before he's worth 80 million again. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. But I think next season we'll see a lot more shades of why Chelsea paid 80 mil. And basically, you know, the next season people are like, okay, I can see why they paid 80 mil. He's not quite worth that in my opinion yet, but you know, we can see why he can, why, why they did pay the money they did. And then, you know, maybe the season after that, he becomes that, star Premier League player. Maybe. I, for the sake of his career, it'd be sad if he had to leave Chelsea because he wasn't performing well enough. Yeah, Because it's almost yeah. like a step backwards and that can sometimes like really mentally damage a player, I think. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of going slightly backwards, <laughs> you wanted to talk about uh, Yao Felix. Yes. Yes, I did. Because this guy, when he signed for Atletico Madrid, he was arguably one of the most promising players of his age group. I mean, it was basically the, of the 99 born players, you know, him and Kai Havertz, those were the crown jewels of the year 1999. And he moved a year earlier than, than Kai Havertz. And it took him a full year because, and, and both of us, we criticized the fact, criticized his performances greatly. And then this season, he slowly started to get underway. But he signed a seven year contract. That is, by any standards in this day and age, unheard of in a football negotiation. I mean, seven years is a long time. It's also seven years that he's stuck on that same contract and the same wages. Not to mention, you know, seven years at the same club. And add in a 350 million euro release clause. That kid isn't going anywhere. <laughs> seven years is ridiculous. I think the only other seven-year contracts that I know of would be the only one I can think of would be Alan Pardew at Newcastle. And he was sacked the season after he signed it. How long was David Moyes' contract? I'm pretty sure it? David Moyes was seven years as well. Exactly. And the, the only other one I, I remember from an, from an athlete, not a manager, was, and this is completely unrelated to football in general, but Scotty Pippen for the Chicago Bulls signed a seven-year contract and he was stuck on wages of about you know 18 mil a year when the rest of the league started popping off. And at some point, he was one of the most underplayed players in the league. Underplayed? Underpaid players of the league. But he was also the second highest assister and second highest scorer in the league. And I don't think that's going to happen to Joao Felix because then again, you can always renegotiate wages in that sense or renegotiate contracts based on just the wages. But still... Joao Felix is definitely get is definitely withering away 
at Atletico because that system and that tactical style is just not built for someone of his class and his flair. You'd think there has to be some sort of assurances made by like his agent or his representatives for the, you know, just for the benefit of the player. Yeah, but that's the thing, though. It doesn't seem to be because I mean, he's he's literally the only attacking hope that Atletico have. There's nothing else. I'd argue that the Atletico Madrid style it fits more to Luis Suarez, which is why he's thrived. Although he's not scored an away goal in Europe since like 2015 or something. That's crazy. Against I think it was against Roma, which is absolutely ridiculous. To think that he was once considered to be the best number nine in the world and, you know, maybe even the greatest number nine of all time. Well, then, (laughs) seeing as you've just said that, let's talk Bayern Munich against Lazio. Love that. Love that little segue. Yeah, okay, but there's, there's really not that much to talk about here either. Um... As sad as it sounds to say, it was a draw that was also much like the Man City Gladbach draw. You know, Bayern put four away goals past Lazio, and then they scored in the 33rd minute through a penalty. That penalty, by the way, I would never have given that. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that was a soft penalty to give. I mean, Goretzka, he 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 theatrically falls, and I mean, yeah, he's pulled his shirt is pulled a little bit, but you know, if if. If that penalty is given, then you're going to have to give about six to eight penalties every match day. Yeah, but it we've was, seen that. Yeah. We've seen that with this season, as especially that players sort of have to go down for the decision to be made. Like you look at the Alex McCarthy challenge on Phil Foden when yeah, City yeah. beat Southampton. You know, it's a, it's a foul, but because Foden does the honest thing and stays on his feet, the penalty is not given. Yeah, Although yeah. it was quite nice to see Stoke City legend Eric Maxim Chupamoting score in a Champions League game. Hey, for all the stick that he probably gets, that was a pretty damn good goal. I mean, through ball, full sprint, chips the goalkeeper. Obviously, Pepe Reina is not, you know, your top-notch goalkeeper, but still, it takes a, it takes a certain amount of speed and a certain amount of skill to do what he did. That's something only playing with Charlie Adam, Peter Crouch, and John Walters can teach you. <laughs> yeah, okay, true. So nothing to I do with playing Peter... with the likes of uh, Robert Lewandowski, Mbappe, and Neymar. Nah, nah. Utterly ridiculous I, I, career, I, that man. I'd love to see Peter Crouch sprint through on goal like that and then chip it and, at full speed. <laughs> you, you joke, but Peter Crouch, in his day, he scored 100 Premier League goals, yeah? He's one of what? only a few players to do it. Was it Sven-Goran Eriksson? Was it Fav- I think it might have been Sven-Goran Eriksson. Great touch for a big lad. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also the fact that he's overly lanky. Like, he's he seems so stretched <laughs> that it just doesn't seem like he, ha- he should have the necessary control needed for a professional footballer over his own limbs. Like, it just doesn't seem like he should have that control, but he somehow does. Well, it's like that interview he gave. Someone asked us, oh, Peter, if you weren't a footballer, what would you be? Deadpan looks from straight and is like, a virgin. 
as I, I you, you gotta respect, <laughs> you gotta respect, you gotta respect the honesty. You gotta respect the grind. Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Oh, it's impossible but to going hate back. You. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, going back to the Bayern match, though, uh, yeah, Robert Lewandowski scores a 73rd Champions League goal in 96 Champions League matches. Also, pretty stupid stat. But, I mean, the guy produces so many of those these days that it's almost not even surprising at this point. Um, it's like a record it was pretty kind of, right? Yeah, actually, though. I think the big the big news around the match was the fact that Alexander Nubel got, a, got his start in goal. And it's only his third start to the season, and there's already a lot of controversy, put it that way, um, around him. And apparently there being a clause on his contract that he gets, you know, something like 10 to 15 starts guaranteed in a season, which uh, Hansi Flick has since said, no, that is not the case. But um, then again, Nubit's, Nubit's agent came out and said, you know, Nubit was not happy with his situation at Bayern, which the only reason he could be unhappy with the situation at Bayern is if that clause was in his contract because no goalkeeper in their right mind goes to Bayern and says, I'm going to oust Manuel Neuer from the starting spot. Like there is no keeper in this pl- on this planet who is going to do that. None. I don't understand. The life of a second choice goalkeeper must be a weird one. Even weirder than that is it's the life of fun. a third choice goalkeeper. You get paid to come and train like four times a week. Yeah, pretty much. But <laughs> did you did he have anything to do? Were you impressed with how he played? Did it warrant more starts in the future? No. He made Is that one because good... he didn't have anything to do or he had one good one-on-one save. But I mean, you know, he should any goalkeeper playing for Bayern should be making that save. The goal I'd argue he should have come out and either caught the cross or punched the cross away, but he stays on his line. And in that situation, there are two options you have. Either one, you're Gianluigi Buffon and you save everything that is put at or is shot at you on your line, or you come out and grab the cross. The only way he would have saved that on his line is if he was Buffon, because Buffon on his line, everyone knows, unreal goalkeeper. But, you know, I'd argue that is that's his fault. He was a little bit uncertain when he had the ball at his feet and he had to play out from the back. There were a couple of uncertainties there. I've said it before. I don't think he's going to be the uh, replacement for Manuel Neuer in the future. You're so going to struggle when that man retires. And oh. I'm all for it. You're going to have to put up with, with people like Anders Lindegaard and Thomas <laughs> Kusak. Absolute horrendous goalkeepers. And you will feel my pain. (laughs) You really want to feel that. That brings me to one thing. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that I want to be around when when it happens. The sad day will come in about three to four years, I think. I mean, Noya's turning 35 at the end of this, at the end of March. So, yeah. Prime for a goalkeeper. I mean, he's prime for a goalkeeper, but it just means that he's got maybe three to four good years left in him. Then he goes back to Schalke to help them in the second division. Oh, God. Cinderella story. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. But one thing I want... Oh. 
you mentioned when while we're on the subject of goalkeepers because it slipped my mind. Say that again. One thing I wanted to talk about while we're on the subject of goalkeepers because it slipped my mind while we were talking about Atletico because we we're trashing their tactics. I didn't take a minute to uh, talk about Jan Oblak, who was supposed to be such a good shot stopper and such a good goalkeeper. But that shot that Hakim Ziyech put in, I'm sorry, that should be saved by a goalkeeper of his caliber. See, I would argue that he's not as good as everyone makes him out to be. Thank you. Someone's finally said it. Everyone's. It's another case of the FIFA hype. Yeah. I mean, he does make ridiculous saves, but then again, most goalkeepers are capable of, of a good save. He but can't play with his feet for it to save his life. Yeah, it's the, it's the stuff he can't do that far outweighs the stuff he can, if that makes any sense, to a uh, you know fellow hashtag GK Union member. Up the GK Union. Up the GK Union. But I think, especially these days, keepers have to be able to play with their feet. And Yad Oblak just can't. And he can't. I don't know why people rate him so highly. But then again, maybe it's because when he first, you know, he had people like Diego Godin in his prime in front of him. So that's why they were keeping so many clean sheets. Yeah, but you could argue the same thing about Bayern and Manuel Neuer it still takes a good goalkeeper. Like, I don't want to say that he wasn't, you know, a very good goalkeeper because I think it's more of a, it's more of that thing where it's on the line. Jan Oblak is probably one of the best there is. So I wouldn't take away from that part of his performances, but you know, as you said, the rest of the stuff that he, that he should probably be able to do. It just isn't there. Oh, well, before we, uh, we touch on our honourable mention. <laughs> I have a... Uh, <laughs> it's not Champions League related. It's not Premier League or Bundesliga related. But I, it made me laugh when I read it this morning. So this was because uh, recently a lot of English players who haven't been capped for England have decided to change their allegiance to Jamaica. So mm-hmm. uh, Ty- Tyrone Mears was capped for Jamaica in 2009 because he thought his dad was from Jamaica. It turned out his dad was from Sierra Leone, which is absolutely hilarious. How do Bruh. you fuck up where your own dad is from? That That is a special skill that I think... Uh... He played a game for Jamaica. So Okay, but that, that means that FIFA missed it as well because yeah, you need everyone. <laughs> everyone missed it. Jesus. It's like me rocking up and playing a game for Germany. Like I'm about as German as English breakfast tea. It's like <laughs> oh, honest to God. Imagine that, like, oh sorry, lads, I've got to uh, I've got to leave. Turns out I'm not Jamaican. That was a very awkward team conversation as well. Jesus. So the honorable, or should we say dishonorable mention? <laughs> this week goes to Tottenham Hotspur. Now we don't talk Europa League on here because uh, who cares? <laughs> but for a team to throw away a comfortable two two goal aggregate lead against 
a team ranked in FIFA's 19th placed league who've also had their manager locked up for corruption. He, the guy freaking switch, he, he embezzled something like 5 million with his brother. I mean, Tottenham, I, I, I struggle to explain Tottenham Hotspur. They are a puzzle wrapped in a, an enigma, trapped in a mystery. <laughs> but then again, take nothing away from Mislav Orsic because his second goal, especially, even the hat trick goal, were absolutely unreal. Yeah, okay, but here's the thing I've never heard of Mislav Orsic. Well, you clearly don't play enough FIFA or football <laughs> manager because he's one of the first players I sign on football manager. I mean, if the Tottenham, funds are available. Tottenham lost against a team and got a hat-trick scored on them by a guy who wears the number 99. That's proper shit, Audrey. <laughs> Most recently linked with the likes of West Brom and is now scoring hat-tricks in the last 16 against Tottenham Hotspur. I just I literally, want... is there anything more Tottenham Hotspur than that? It's like literally the bottle jobs of, of England have, you know, just made sure that that name never leaves the club. Well, I would like your opinion on something. Just yeah. a quick answer before we wrap up. So Mourinho has spent, I think, I think I've read it, 92 million at Spurs, mm-hmm. which is 8 million short of what Pot spent in five years. <laughs> Would you agree that Tottenham have gone backwards? Yeah. Especially given the quality of players they've signed. You know, I'm sorry, but Steven Bergwijn is not a bad player in his own right. I'd argue he's not bad. May, may I make a point about players from the Eredivisie, please? Yes, please. Memphis Depay. Vincent Janssen and Aliezra Jahambach, all previous top scorers in the Eredivisie, have come to the Premier League and been absolute dog shit. So Stephen Bergwijn not being very good in the Premier League is not a shock to me. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But I'm sorry, it's a team that has Harry Kane and Hoiming Son. Yeah, but that can't... That doesn't win you... It might win you the odd match, but it won't win you anything. Yeah, but I'm sorry. There have been teams who have been carried by less, you know, less well, players <laughs> and arguably less quality. You're not 11, you know, the, the other 10 players at United have been carried by Bruno Fernandes since, you know, last February. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. And I'd argue that the quality that Hoiming Son and Harry Kane put together is going to be more than the quality that Bruno Fernandes can produce. And they still, uh, come on. You can't tell me that Hoiman Son and Harry Kane couldn't carry Tottenham Hotspur because they, they definitely could. Well, was it not a few weeks ago we described Tottenham as like a bodybuilder who skips legs? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Incredibly top heavy, but nothing at the back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it speaks I mean, volumes because Hugo Lloris, I. <laughs> He's eh. not in the top five keepers in the league. I'm sorry. No. And no. their reserve goalkeeper is Joe Hart, who's never been any good. <laughs> so, you know, Matt Doherty and Serge, Serge Aurier, 
useless. Ben Davis is crap. Eric Dyer, how he's in the England team over Aaron Wambasaka, I will never know. But that's a conversation for another time. Let's not open that can now. So there we go. Tottenham Hotspur. Bottle European jobs of England. Bottle jobs. I was about to say, bottle jobs of England and now of Europe. It's things you love to hear. Oh, yeah. But that is all we have time for. Yes. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, follow, comment on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. We are posting daily content with all the latest breaking news and little anecdotes here and there. And also make sure to head over to Spotify, Google Podcasts, or check out our RSS feed and have a listen of all our other episodes. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.